Ladies and gentlemen, I give you super nerd pals. What's up, pals? This is Super Nerd Pals, episode 39. Is it? Yeah, it is 39. How is that? No, I mean, is it Super Nerd Pals? Super 39. Super 39 nerd palling. Wow. Okay. (laughs) All right. So I'm your host for today. I'm Chris Sampson, and I'm joined by my partner in crime, Stan Gudersky. Hello. What up, Stan? What's up? So we just came off a hop. Where's Andy? Wow. What'd you, what'd you do with him? I'm sorry? Where's Andy? Where's Andy? Uh, what'd you do with him? Uh, where, you know, after all that... Where is he? Uh, after all that talk about, about you know, going to Canada and eating people... No, you know what happened? The ghost got the him. The ghost got... Yeah. He said, he said, fuck ghosts. The ghost the got go- him. Yeah. And then Ryan wasn't around to lend her expertise, so... Uh, He's gone. And that's why he's not here. He's gone. He'll be back. Uh, you know, he'll be. Fu- Hopefully, next week he'll have escaped the ghost dimension and have stories about his experience. What if he doesn't remember any of the? Exper- I mean, th- that's what torture is that's for. True. We'll solve <laughs> <laughs> to get the answers out, and then we'll solve his earth, or, or at least threaten to, and that will loosen his tongue quite quickly, like your style, Stan. So, um, happy Halloween, Stan. We're we're just coming coming off of uh, Halloween yesterday, and uh, did you have a good holiday? Yeah, you know, it's, it's all right. Yeah. You do you do a thing. You, you eat some candy, and it's, it's, a, it's a holiday. Heard you uh, watch the Babadook for Halloween. How was that? I it was a movie. That uh, I think uh, things happened in the movie. It was not as scary as I was expecting it to be. But it's it's not it's not like a jump scare movie. It's more like a it's more like a psychological thriller than anything, and it's a it's a really cerebral movie. But um, I mean, I admit, I, I I did get some. I when I watched it in theaters, I did jump a little. Um, and I thought like the creature design was really awesome, and I love that the the flip up book. The flip up book, I think, feel like is one of the creepiest things, and I want it. That's the scariest part of the movie was the book. That's like I, everything else. I don't know. It was alright. Not like. Not like my favorite horror movie. It was just like I was expecting more. You know, I was like sitting there and I was like, "Oh, it's Halloween night! It's a, it's a spooky time! We're gonna we're gonna get so scared! Are you ready?" And then Kirsty fell asleep. Oh, she fell. As- oh I, no, <laughs> <laughs> she fell asleep through it, and I I got through it. But I was like, "All right, I guess okay." They, they fucking kept him. Oh, spoilers. They like kept him as a pet and then give him like oh, like worms. All right. Yeah, I mean, I guess you. Yeah, all right. Well, it's the the whole story is like a is that a, is allegory? Is that the right term? Yeah, maybe. Oh, it's a it's like an allegory for or like a sim, it's symbolic of like how to deal with grief and trauma. The, I forget the name of the main character, but she was going through this whole phase of like repression, like severe repression, and because of that, it kept feeding. And feeding like the monster until it got bigger and bigger, and it it only it was only until she like confronted the beast and accepted it, but still acknowledged it that it's still part of her life. That the beast, you know, it's it's manageable. It's in the it's in the basement, and you just gotta 
go back to it once in a while, feed it a little worms, you know, acknowledges there, but it, she has power over it, and now she can live a happy, happy life with her kid. Yeah, like, I, I get that, but I just, I wanted, I, I didn't want a moral. I wanted, like, ooh, scary! You, you just wanted, like, everyone to die, and then, like, the Bob and... <laughs> No, that's like a, I don't know, like, I wanted a Halloween movie, you know? I... I didn't want to like have a a movie that was it was it was okay it was like creepy but it like I don't know it was not the not the best Halloween choice it's it's like a regular like Saturday night movie kind of kind of thing not like a oh so scary if you could uh, rewind the clock what Halloween movie would you watch um Blackula Blackula <laughs> <laughs> is this like a black exploitation <laughs> vampire movie. Have you never I heard, have of, heard, you never heard of Blackula? Please, you gotta sell me this pitch. This, is, this sounds amazing. Gosh. Well, Kirsten and I were looking on iTunes to see if there was any good horror movies to rent. One of them is Blackula. And it's exactly as you describe it. It's a black exploitation movie. And it's just... we. You can see the trailer on iTunes. I'm sure you can find it on YouTube, but it's like the funniest trailer. It's just like, you know... Blackula is Dracula's sole brother from another mother. <laughs> it just says some shit like that. And it's just like, and it, it like Dracula's just like standing over his body, and he's just like, oh, I'll give you my curse or some shit like that. And he just he's like fighting cops, and then like he like kisses some like some New York City taxi drivers. I don't know. It's this sounds fantastic. I'm sure, I, I'm sure it was. This great. sounds like just as fantastic as a Kung Fury, which I love. And then now I love it how it's now on Netflix, but it's not a Halloween movie, so I don't know why I'm talking about it. But I didn't see any Halloween movies. But I guess you know my my go to one would be like Nightmare Before Christmas, and we could watch it again in two months. Nightmare Before Christmas is my favorite movie. It's it's so good. Not not my favorite favorite, but like it's definitely up yeah. there. Top five, top ten, something like that. It's there. Cool. For my Halloween, uh, I had a really packed and and really uh, really fun Halloween weekend. Anime USA was an anime convention. Uh, it was happening at the same time uh, in Washington D.C. and I was pretty oblivious to it um, because I've been living. In like the DC metro area for the past four years, and this is the first time I've heard of it. And apparently, mm-hmm. it's going on the the past five. So, either I'm suck at like social media, or 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 uh, it, it, I don't know. But it was really fun. Uh, and the biggest draw for this year was the English voice cast for Cowboy Bebop. Uh, they came into town and they did a whole bunch of panels. So you had Spike. Uh, that's Stephen Bloom. You got Faye Valentine. That's Wendy Lee. Jet, uh, played by Bo Billingsley. Ed, she's played by Melissa Fawn and Julia, and also the the voice director of Cowboy Bebop is Mary Elizabeth Begin. So it was so awesome. They had a whole bunch of panels. They had a, a Stephen Bloom and Mary. They had a Q and A panel. But the big draw was a live script reading of one of the episodes for Cowboy Bebop. It was very Halloween appropriate because they did a script reading of Toys in the Attic. And that's the episode Mm -hmm. where it's an homage to both Alien and 2001 The Space Odyssey. That's one of my favorite episodes. 
Is that the one with the fridge? Yeah, like a spike. Yeah. Spike leaves like a lobster inside a fridge and forgets about it for a year, and the creature comes out. It's just like a xenomorph. It starts attacking people one by one, and and Spike has to like kill it and track it down with like a like thermal reader, just like Ripley and her motion detector. It ends with uh, Spike jettisoning the fridge out of the ship. Uh, it's so it's such a good episode. It was so surreal to see them. Like be in character, like right in front of you, because I love. I would just love for every cartoon to just have like a like a B roll of like them just doing the entire voices and seeing their reactions, seeing them animate. Like one of the, my favorite things, favorite specials is seeing Mark Hamill like do the Joker voice, and like he really gets into it. So it was so cool to see that with the with the Cowboy Bebop people, and my other panel that I really liked was the Man at Arms Reforged uh, team. If you don't know what Man at Arms is, um, it's a really cool YouTube series where a bunch of weapons and armor smiths from Baltimore Knife and Sword create these amazing anime swords and video game swords and armor and from movies. So they've done like the Kill a Kill Scissor Blade, Gus's Sword, or uh, the Gun Blade, and stuff from, from like Fate Zero and and, and, and Halo and Batman and Predators. They've done so much stuff, so it was really great. And um, their local, their local favorites. They're from Baltimore, um, so they do a lot of around the DC metro area. And uh, I got to talk to Matt and Ilya pretty often, so they're really cool guys. So check them out. And they they're releasing another episode pretty soon. And they told the cra- the crowd that we can't reveal what it is. But oh my god, like, they actually brought their creation to the stage. And all I can say is, like, extremely heavy. It's super iconic. And it's sci-fi. That's all I can say. I don't want to get the guys in trouble. But it's so cool. So that that, that episode will be coming out in, like, a week or two. Sounds yeah. good. And favorite cosplay. Uh, and related to One Punch Man, which is a fan favorite on the show. Hell yeah, that shit is good. So good. Um, there's a character <laughs> called um, Speed of Sound Sonic, and he's a ninja. He is uh, standing. You haven't got to this point yet, but the ninja is super over the top, just like the rest of the cast. And I literally flipped out when I saw there was a uh, female cosplayer by the name of April, and her costume was spot on. I took a picture with her, so I'll post that on the Instagram, and I'll provide her info. So you can follow her because she's an amazing cosplayer. And oh, on Halloween, I went to the Phantom Comics Halloween party. Is Phantom Comics is a great comic book shop in Washington D.C. And it was just insane. There was like so so many people, and there was really good costumes. Like the the cosplay game was amazing. So uh, there was people dressed up as like Jenner, Ben, Fry, and Leela from Futurama. Uh, my two friends cosplays BB-8 and Ray. There was some. There was the Rocketeer. My friend Josh even cosplayed as Pizza Rat, like 2015's latest and greatest animal meme sensation. Yeah, it was a really cool, really cool time. Sounds good. Wish I could have been there to be anime. So comics, Stan, what'd you read this Wait, week? Wait, didn't we have news to talk about? Oh, that's right. Wow, <laughs> I'm so tired. <laughs> Wow. I'm so tired. We'll cut it out. The nap king. So, uh, you know why? It's because Andy's not here. Andy's not here. Yeah. We're all off. Okay. 
So, that's enough about Halloween news. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> enough about the Halloween news. Stan, do you want to start off? Um, so, there was some kind of stream that happened over the weekend for Pocket Tournament. And they revealed a... I don't know. Is he a final boss? Yeah, he's a, like a special, unlockable boss character. And he can, he's only... He can only show up if you lose like two out of three rounds. It's like yeah, like the way to unlock it is you have to lose a couple times, huh. which is weird because usually if you, I mean the opposite, it's the the norm. But yeah, yeah. But apparently you can only fight them in this crystal di- dimension. So pocket tournaments, that's the Pokemon fighting game. They have the Pokemons and they fight. And you you get to fight if if you suck if you suck good enough, you get to fight uh, Shinakuma Mewtwo. <laughs> Pretty much, right? Is that, that that that's his name? Exactly. It's crazy. Like, does, uh, does he have an official name? It. I think it's just called Dark Mewtwo. I'm not sure if he's relate if he, if he's a standalone character just for po- pocket tournament, or if he's like a tying character for Pokemon Z, which is coming somewhat soon. But he's crazy. Like he's being like Golden Frieza Mewtwo. He has a golden tail and like a golden crystal popping out of his shoulder, as if Mewtwo can't be more overpowered. I, I was just more impressed by just like the normal game, like the generic gameplay of Pocket Tournament. Because I um I've yeah. never se- I never seen that much gameplay footage before. I only seen like the trailers. But oh my god, Gengar! I was more swayed by Gengar because like. Gengar is fighting Dark Mewtwo in this video stream. He, like, wrecked him. Like, holy shit, dude. Like, Gengar was, like, he was doing this one move where he punches, and his portal, like, his wormhole opens up, his hand sticks inside, and a bigger wormhole opens right on top, and his giant psychic fist blasts down and hits Mewtwo. And then he turns to, like, Mega Evolution Gengar... And he does this crazy OP finisher move where, like, he sinks to the ground and Gengar's face, like, opens up and swallows Mewtwo's hole. And then Mewtwo's just sucked inside the ground and, like, wow. So I need this game. I mean, Dark Mewtwo, what he, the reveal is cool, but I just, my brain exploded. I want Gengar right, right now. I feel like the reveal would have been a lot cooler if the person playing as Gengar actually let Mewtwo, like, get some attacks in so he could see what the hell that thing does. Except instead of just seeing it, like, show, like, ho, 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 I'm the final boss. And, like, pow, 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 and he's just dead. And he just goes away. But, yeah, seriously, like, um, I feel like the, the, the Mewtwo was AI and put on easy mode because all he did during the match was, like, block. And he, he threw off, like, a couple Shadow Balls and he threw, like, a hyper beam or some sort of blast. He, like, fires Hadoukens or something. Yeah, but, you know, Gengar, he was just relentless, so there wasn't a lot of opportunity. I mean, also, like, how the view of the game was going, the match was mostly focused on Gengar because, like, Mewtwo was mostly in the background. You couldn't really see up close, like, the game, like, the, the, the fight animation, so. But this game is supposed to come to the Wii U in... I think November 2016. And uh, uh, for a week, the arcade version was at a David Buster's in Times Square, New York. I'm not sure if it's still there, but oh my god, we, we need this game. This looks good, so good. Do you think it'll be on Wii U, or do you think they'll port it to the NX also? 
I, I liken it to Smash. I mean, there's cross-platform play with the DS and the Wii U. So I feel like it would be a, a really a, like unwise decision for them to not port as well to the to the NX. So I you know just diversify their source of income and their audience. I think I think you should totally do it. And it'll it'll just make the NX launch even stronger. Exactly. I feel if they can have something like Pokken tournament and then like a new Zelda. Yeah, and if you want to have the NX exclusive, like a special exclusive Pocket tournament console. You know that would just make the sales or demand just rise up even more. So we'll see what happens. It's it's, it's still yeah. a long way off. Yes, and we'll update you when we know more. So my news, uh, I have a one bigger one and one smaller one. Um, so let's go start off with the big one. A couple of years ago, World War Z broke its way onto theaters to mix reviews. But this past week, a new scriptwriter for World War Z two was announced. Dennis Kelly, the creator of, of a British TV show called Utopia, has been hired by Paramount Pictures to pen the la- the latest draft for the sequel. And, I mean, I was surprised because, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess I shouldn't be surprised because World War Z, um, it set itself up for a sequel, but I didn't realize it, it did that well in the box office to be awarded a sequel. But apparently it did like five hundred forty million in the box office, so that was so from a financial standpoint, Paramount thought it was a safe enough investment. Um, the first draft was penned by Stephen Knight. On one on one hand, I'm optimistic because I mean I wasn't really satisfied with the the script writing from the previous movie. I mean I'm, I'm hoping this new writer's credentials uh, or or new insight will be more polished, less disorganized, and, like, someone more, like, more faithful to the source material. Because, like, the, the thing is, like, the first movie, in, in everything but name, it was not World War Z. Um, it was just, like, a generic zombie survival horror movie. Even then, it was, like, two completely different movies smashed together. Because, like, the first and second act, it was very different from the book, but they made some interesting choices, like the zombies, they were imagined like a swarm of ants, and they were going for the whole geopolitical international scope. The the effect on an international scale of what a zombie apocalypse could do. But then the last third of the movie, it became a completely different movie where Jerry Lane ends up in a hospital and he has to infect himself with, like, a class 4 pathogen <laughs> to, like, camouflage himself against the zombies. It's like, oh, okay, so the zombies won't sense you, but now you have AIDS. Or now you have polio. Some some horrible disease. And yeah. so at the, end of the, at the end of the movie, they imply, like, now the humans can fight back because they have a camouflage. But... I don't know. I honestly don't know what they could do from there, because like the movie ended on an optimistic sort of standpoint. So I, so I don't know. I mean, what are your thoughts? Like, what the sequel could be, or do you even that want a sequel? The movie was stupid, and no, I don't. The movie was dumb. It was nothing like the book, and yeah, I mean, like, what are they gonna have? They're gonna have like a group of elite soldiers who all have like cancer or something. It's gonna be like. A bunch. They're gonna, they're gonna like hire like Heisenberg to like figure out a way to destroy the zombies because he's got he's got lung cancer. 
like all the soldiers would be like emaciated and had like all these symptoms and like if the zombies won't kill you but your symptoms will hooray I don't know, I think they just wrote, wrote themselves into a corner, but being the nature of the beast that is Hollywood, they can't not make a sequel. Just, uh I just wish that Wolverine would be a serialized TV show, and it will be divided to like three arcs. You know, the first arc would be like pre-crisis, where where it would be stories about like the, the first story in the book where like the Chinese doctor is called in. And they first see Patient Zero. And then they could talk about stories of how the corruption of the U.S. political machine caused the Great Panic. And then the second season would be like, oh shit, oh, and then, oh shit, like it'd start off with like the Battle of Yonkers, where everything's going to hell, and people are like surviving on the brink of collapse. Third season would be the world getting its act together and fighting back. It would be like the aftermath of like the, the Great Zombie War. That would be an amazing Netflix TV show. And plus, it'll be more faithful to the book. You know, you could spend time and adapt, you know, like the classic vignettes from the book and create your own, your, create new content at the same time. I don't understand why they never went that route. <laughs> Stan, I don't know either. Stan has no words. He's just like, I hate this. I hate this. I don't know. I mean, we'll see what happens. I'll watch any zombie movie. For, at least for this one, I'll, I'll wait for the reviews to come out to actually decide whether or not they see it. Okay. And then, last piece of news, I love John Wick, and some time ago, we were discussing that a sequel for John Wick was announced. Keanu Reeves is amazing in the first movie. I'm really excited that they're they're returning to that world. And they announced early on last week that Common, he's going to be cast as the villain for the movie, which is really interesting. The only other role that I know that Common has done, he was uh, one of the lieutenants in uh, Terminator Salvation. I'm not sure what other acting roles he's done, but if this like if it's the same production and writing team, I'm totally on board. I never saw John Wick. You, ha- it's really good. Like uh, Keanu Reeves lately, he's been going on this second coming, like this re- like this new renaissance of movie, except for like 47 Ronin. We can we can brush that under the table, but um, he's been doing some really cool action roles in the past couple of years, like um, Man of Tai Chi. That's a really good movie. I highly recommend. But John Wick, it's just a crazy sleeper hit that came out sometime last year, and it's Keanu Reeves is a former assassin who single-handedly topples an entire criminal organization because the spoiled son of like a Russian mob boss kills his dog and steals his car. He's acting spot on. It's like there's lots of intense emotion and gravitas and like the action scenes are amazing. And that role alone, it totally sold me on the premise that Keanu Reeves could do Spike Spiegel in a live-action Cowboy Bebop movie. And that was, like, a thing that was in the ether going around the last couple of years. Actually, during Anime USA, I, I asked the voice cast during the panel this question. Um, Keanu Reeves, like, especially in his performance in John Wick, I feel like he would make a great Spike Spiegel. And I wanted to know what were their thoughts. And Stephen Bloom, he went on to say, like, yeah, like, I think Keanu Reeves could totally do Spike. And I he actually met him at an airport, and they were talking. And one of the reasons why um, Keanu Reeves is not really 
well, at the time, like, the role was so iconic, and there was a lot of pressure to live up to that hype, to li- or to live up to that status, and he also said he was, he felt too old for the role. He felt like he was too old to do his own stunts. So, yeah, I can't wait for the second one. I think, I think they already started filming. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna take a look at it. Yeah, he's probably, he, he's like a Matrix in there, right? Uh, oh yeah, all the Matrix, all the Matrix. He is a mate. He's a Matrix in in John Wick. I'm sure. Yeah, there's so. a little bit of uh, Bill or Ted. Oh, I can't remember now. Was he Bill? He he was Bill. I don't. Rem- I'm not even. No. Answer. Oh god, <laughs> you just judge. You need to go back and listen to an earlier episode. We already we, we did that. We did that whole thing. I'm sorry for all you nerds out there yelling at me right now. I- all right, cool. That's it for the Halloween news. That's it for the Halloween news. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, comics. I could start this. I could start with comics. Uh, thank you, by the way, for, for plugging me this because I didn't. It, I did not know this was on my radar. But um, the Justice League Dark Side War Batman spinoff, where it's just Bat God. Oh my God, that is an amazing issue. A couple episodes ago, when we were still talking about Justice League Dark Side War. Wonder Woman used her lasso of truth to pull Metron off of the Mobius chair, and Batman he sits in it and he becomes Bat God. And Stan and I we were ranting over like how disappointed we were because he wasn't doing anything cool. They were teasing really cool ideas and concepts, but then they didn't do anything with it. Like Batman sits in the chair, he's like, "I know everything," and he looks up with the chairs abilities like who the joker is he's like oh my god that's that can't be and they left down a cliffhanger after that bat god just becomes a glorified wikipedia page like he just becomes captain exposition gives us all the lowdown of what's going on and what we need to know about dark side war and then he teleports away with green lantern on like some interdimensional road trip but this issue picks up after the events of dark side war where dark side is dead and several members of the League have become new gods themselves, and they have powers. So, Bat God is keeping watch over the city of Gotham, and he's basically being, like, a mix of Batman and Tom Cruise from Minority Report. Like, he's using the chair to funnel all this information in, and he's, he's like, oh shit, there's a, there's a crime about to go down. So he teleports to the scene, to the scene of the crime, and, like, he straights up, like, abducts them and teleports these criminals all over the world. So he, he stops a robbery and, like, he teleports the robbers to Antarctica. Or um, there is this drunken ex-husband who's about to kill his wife. So he intervenes and teleports him, drops him off at Themyscira to, to get a lesson from the Amazonians. It's really interesting concepts they're playing with. Like, Batman, he's clearly removed from his humanity. Like, even in the font or, or like the lettering is like this really interesting black border and the red lettering to, to, to know like he's a god he's separated from humanity so like his his train of logic and reasoning is like i can compare it to like dr manhattan and uh and watchman and so he has this conflict with gordon like how batman's gonna be like i am the perfect batman i will create this new utopia pre-crime is like the only way to stop it and to save lives and he's going on his vendetta and then at the end of the issue it's like the the greatest lead up oh well first he goes to joe chill and confronts him and like pretty much breaks his mind 
and Joe Chill is just like psychologically broken, but he doesn't remember how it happened because he Batman erases his memories. And at the end of the issue, they they lead it up to Bat God like gunning for the Joker. Like he knows he's gonna he's gonna go after him. And wow, like this issue was so strong. I really like all these moral philosophical questions they're toying with and all those narrative choices they're doing. And it really pushes the narrative in like a brand new direction. And the art's beautiful and like the perfect setup, like Bat God versus Joker. Like what's gonna happen? It's gonna be I'm like I literally cannot wait for the next issue. This is this is what you wanted Justice League to be like. Right? Exactly. The, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's just that's why Justice League was so disappointing. Because you just... It was so bad, I dropped the fucking series. I was like, I this is dumb. Yeah. Like, I can't I can't handle Dark Side War. But, yeah. yeah. I knew I knew you were going to like it as soon as I saw it. I was like, yep, this is a Chris yeah, book. Yeah, this is definitely a Chris book. And, again, like, like you, I dropped off at the end because I was just so disappointed. But, so I don't know... I don't know which other Justice Leaguers became new gods... So that's something I'll have to look up, but I'll be really interested in reading some of the other spin-off titles. Sounds good. So, yeah, your comic? So, uh, this week I picked up Batgirl 45, and um, it, it's essentially... It's it's not like a, a heavy plot issue. It's um, Barbara Gordon attends a wedding of one of her friends, and she invites... Luke Fox to the wedding to be her date, which was set up in the previous issue, the one that was done by Bengal, that I was kind of like put off by. So Babstar's back on the art was, and uh, you can tell because it's it's his art. Bengal's art's not bad, but it's not Babstar. Babstar does a really good job with color and with expressions, and her art in general is just great. So it's it's kind of an in between issue where nothing is heavy in plot except the fact that Dick Grayson's in the issue and he comes back and he tries to sort of win Batgirl over to sort of like romance her again and Barbara's not having any of it. So it, it's you know it's a light issue. It's it, but it's a lot of fun because you see this kind of love triangle form between Barbara, Dick, and Luke Fox and. It's it's cool. There's some action happening when um, Barbara's basically holding the ring, and Dick kind of steals it because he's like, "Hey, Barbara, I need you to talk to me." And she's like, "Fuck out of here!" And <laughs> she's like, she's like, she's like so over it with Dick because he he does this shit where he's just like he's just gone, and then he comes back into her life and shakes everything up. And this most recent time he was dead, and then he's like, "I'm not dead," and he's like, "Now I'm back." And they're like, well, "Why don't we uh, get back together again?" And she's like, "I'm not." I'm not doing that anymore. And so well, it was, for, it was a her. good moment. Yeah, it was a good moment for Barbara. Um, Dick Grace is this thing in the in the book where he wants her to stop talking. He puts his finger on her mouth and he's just like, shh. And I'm like, oh, oh shit, you don't do that. Oh, he did not. Barbara like, yeah, Barbara slaps his hand away and he's like, you don't do that. And then he, like, he did it again. And then she grabs his hand and like judo flips him. So it's... It's cool to see Barbara just kind of being like, you're, you're kind of an asshole. Like, you... We can stay friends, but you're an asshole right now. So it was, you know, like I said, not not a plot heavy book, but it does it does set up a future arc for another villain by the end of the issue. But this was this is mostly like um, 
sort of a continuation of the issue of Grayson where Dick comes back to Gotham. And it was sort of like... Because it left the, the question of like what's going to happen between Dick and Barbara. And this sort of just answers that question. That it's like... She doesn't hate Dick and they're on good terms. But she's not dealing with his shit right now. And she's trying, she's trying to move on in certain respects. And that's why she's hooking up with Luke. And there, Luke and Barbara's relationship in this issue is played off a lot better than it was last issue because the last issue just sort of happens, and this this issue does a better job of kind of expanding upon their chemistry, and you really feel for Luke because there's this moment where Barbara has to leave to talk to Dick, and then Luke's kind of by himself, and he's just like, ah, oh, that sucks. Like <laughs> that'd be that would be a shitty thing to experience. And then at the end of the book. When Barbara comes back and and she and Luke share a dance at the wedding, Dick's the one who's on the outside, like by himself, watching Barbara dance with Luke, and he kind of like he he leaves Barbara saying like, "Oh, everything's fine. I, I don't everything's cool. You know, I'm I'm a good. You know, like eh, I'm I'm all charismatic and like nothing bothers me." But then at the end of the issue, you see that like this is kind of getting to him. Like he's kind of he's kind of bothered by this situation, and then it. And then it kind of wraps up, so it's it's a good issue. It's I like Batgirl because Batgirl doesn't always have to be a serious, like action heavy book. You can have these issues where she's just kind of interacting with her friends and having this like romantic drama play out, and it's like just as entertaining. Yeah, like the slice you know, of life like, kind of thing. Yeah, it's a little bit like that, but with like superhero stuff thrown in. You know, there's this, there's this whole chase scene where Barbara has to change out of her dress and into her Batgirl costume to chase down Dick because she's not gonna like go flipping around in her wedding in her um her bridesmaid dress. So um, you get you get this little superheroing thing where they like they run through somebody's apartment chasing each other down, and it's like then she has to get back to the wedding. So it's 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 more like this issue is closer to say that Hawkeye series. Yeah, by you know the one yeah, that by Matt Fraction. Yeah, the one where he's, like, not really superheroing, but there's, like, those moments where he does get back into it. But it's mostly, like, his life. That This is what that issue was like, where this is, like, Barbara's day-to-day life, but she just happens to be Batgirl at the same time. So it was it was a fun issue for that reason, where it's not just, like... She's not like Bruce Wayne, where all, all there is is, like, the, the fucking mission and, the, you know, the job. And, and she's just, like, Batgirl all the time. No, she's got, like... She's got this life. She's got friends. She's got, like, romantic issues. She's got, like... This whole thing going on that's not Batgirl related, so it's it's cool that sometimes there's there's the not superhero part of the book, and then there is the superhero part of the book also. So nice, happy medium. Yeah. Unlike Batman, who just yeah. bruds all the time. He's he's just like constantly pissed off and like being Batman. I I have a question. How is Batman like not dead from like hypertension and high blood pressure and ulcers? I, <laughs> I know, right? Like, he he needs a vacation. That dude does not take a break. He doesn't. And, like, and he sabotages all the happiness in his life, like Catwoman and Talia and Silver Saint Cloud. And like, he could take a lesson from Barbara. He could. But no, now he's glued to the chair. Like, no, lit- like yeah. literally, like, in the issue, like, he, 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 can't, he can't get up from the chair. I guess he's like overstraining himself because he starts bleeding from the, from the mouth and from the nose and ears, so. Kids... Don't be like Batman. Don't take life too seriously. Be like Barbara. Go out and have a good time. Go to a wedding. Have a life. <laughs> and then go to a wedding and then judo flip some tigers and maybe a guy named Dick Grayson if he's giving you a hard time. 
Uh, I have a question. Um, I, I wish Andy was here because he he's been keeping up with Grayson. But like, was there any other big love interests in like the new Fifty Two with Dick Grayson? Like, I, I mean, besides Barbara, he's 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 kind of just like he gets around. Dick gets around, man. Like he's always with somebody. So it's like. For him to just come back and like be like, "Oh, Barbara, you're supposed to be with me" or something like that, it's kind of it's kind of dumb. Like, I get it. Like, Dick's supposed to be like this charming playboy, and then like, he goes like he's with Barbara, then he's with Starfire, then he's like with, with whoever else. It's just like you, you know, Barbara's gonna move on too. You can't just expect her to wait for you to fucking come back to life. I don't know. From the way you described it, he just sounds like a creep. It's like... He's kind of. I mean, I'm sure it might not. That's how I read it, but like, I feel like. It, he might not be meaning to be one, you know? It just, I don't know. Dick Grayson's like fucking Drake, you know? He, like, he can't get over his ex, and he's just, like, sitting there, just, like, hitting her up all the time, you know? Just, like... I just have this image of, like, Dick, Dick Grayson just just doing, like, the hot, hot, what's it called? Hotline bling? Hotline bling. Yeah. <laughs> just, like, in a turtleneck, and just, like... He's just so depressed, so he's just... Like, missing he's just, Barbara. Just, just doing the dance, and... Thinking about Barbara, like some like a picture of Barbara's on the wall, and it's like he's like hotline dick, hotline dick. All right, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know what? After this episode, or sometime during this week, we're gonna try to make hotline dick. It's gonna be a thing. <laughs> oh man, cool. Sounds like a great issue. Yep, Batgirl is. It is a good book, so you should definitely you should definitely check it out. It's not it's not always perfect, but it it is one of the more fun superhero books that are out there. It does it does the whole hero but not really a hero all the time thing better than Harley Quinn does because I feel like Harley Quinn is supposed to be like oh she does this thing, also you know like she's like a landlord or whatever, but like it kind of. Harley Quinn kind of sucks. Like, her book is kind of bad. You know, Batgirls does the same kind of thing, but does it much better. And I care about her more as a character than I do about Harley Quinn. That's surprising, because uh, so, you used to be, like, a really big Harley Quinn fan, right? I mean, I, I still am. I just don't like the, the book, you know? I, I don't like... I don't like where they're taking the story, and there doesn't seem to be a story. Whereas with, with Batgirl, it's... You know, sometimes there's there's issues of the book where the the plot is light, but then you have these cool moments where she's using her Batgirl skills and her smarts, and she like kind of gets out of these situations and fights crime. And then Harley Quinn just kind of like, you know, I'm gonna kill people and like collect the rent, and it's like okay, there's like there's like no progression. Harley Quinn doesn't like change; she doesn't like grow. But I I can I can see Batgirl, I can see Barbara growing as a character. You know, like where she like tries to set up her own life. She tries to break away from her father and for Batman and move to like a different part of the neighborhood and like take care of shit on her own and have her own life. And like you get this feeling through her kind of pushing Dick aside and being like, I'm trying to do something else now. You know. Whereas Harley Quinn can never get over the Joker. Ever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she always goes back to the Joker. But I guess Barbara is kind of... I don't know. I don't know if they're destined to be together. Like Dick and Barbara. I don't know. You know what? Barbara doesn't need Dick. She doesn't. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm happy that... I'm happy that it seems like her relationship with Luke is going really well. And I think it's... Yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see where it goes. I don't think it's going to be like a long-term thing. Or, you know, who knows. But I... I like the coupling from what I've read from this issue. 
because they both seem they both seem like real people, even though they happen to be superheroes. Cool. All right. Uh, let's move on to video games. So I'm still going through Soma. God, it's still bloody terrifying, and still still a mind trip. I'm a little bit stuck. Uh, I'm I always get like frustrated with like the puzzle elements. I mean, it's a very integral part of the game, but it's just like. Oh, it's just it's just the fact that like the stress of mounting where you don't, I don't know what to do exactly and like like and there's always like a monster prowling around and like I mean I shouldn't be scared because like um, it's just a game but it's just the existential terror and that that's just that's just how great Soma immerses you in the game because like when you're walking around these monster the monsters the screen become like your vision becomes all pixelated and like there's like this crazy buzzing. And it's really messed up when you're when you have like headphones in or, or you're just playing in the dark. So like salvation was so close. I was about to escape from a shuttle into another part of the base, but then like as always, you know something bad has to happen, and like I fall down like an elevator chute, and now I have to go the long way around where I have to encounter like another monster. Um, so I'm stuck on that, but the game's so beautiful, and I'm just, I'm learning. A little bit more about the story and about my particular character and circumstances, and I just love it. So I can't. I'm. St- I, I, there's still a lot left of the game, and in the me- interim between this episode and last episode, um, I did find out there are multiple endings, and there is a morality-based system. So there is like technically a, a good, neutral, and bad ending. So when I complete the game. I will report back and tell you guys what ending I get. And then I definitely want to do a replay. I just want to be like the most vile base SOB on the second playthrough. I just want to do all the bad decisions and see what happens. Because like like I was saying before with Soma, there are certain parts of the game where you have to make these hard decisions to progress. And there there is like a safer way to do things to not compromise your morals but sometimes you don't realize that until after the fact like for example there's like a person hooked up to machine or a person I, I put that with quotation marks a machine that thinks it's a person but it's still a machine and you maybe have to disconnect their power source to, to power another mechanism or open up a room but in re- reality there are other ways around that but I just want to like be irreverent and like pull all the cords and do all the the bad deeds and see how far I descend into evil or to like into darkness and how that will affect the end of the game. Because like fictional games is really well known for that. But yeah, I'm still going through the game. And I really love it. And uh, even though it's not Halloween anymore, it's still a great game. So check it out. There's always time for horror and spooky. So many spookies. Alright, how about awesome. you? Um, I finished playing through Tales from the Borderlands this week. That game is fucking awesome. It's really funny. There's, um, I think it's honestly the one of the better, if not the best, Telltale game series, period. I think it's, for me, it's even better than the Walking Dead games. Just because it it's really funny. It makes you really feel for the characters. And choices that you make all the way in episode one have a degree of impact all the way to the end of the game. So there were, there were things that I did in episode one that came up 
during my playthrough of Episode 5. Um, episode 5 just came out, and it, and it wraps up the story. And I don't want to give away too much plot details, but it takes place after the events of Borderlands 2. And you you play as this character named Reese, who's working for Hyperion, which used to be owned by Handsome Jack, but he dies at the end of Borderlands 2. And so there's like this power vacuum, and people are trying to ascend and take over the company. And he orchestrates with his friends, this um, with his like coworkers, this this scheme to use to steal ten million dollars and to buy like a vault key because they think it'll give them power and treasure and they can like take over the company. But then it ends up becoming this messed up situation when you find out that the vault key is fake and it's actually being made by the other main character you play as named Fiona, and she's like a con woman and they and her. her her sister Sasha and, like, her father figure, Felix, like, fabricate this fake vault key to try to take the $10 million. And it ends up turning out to be fake, and the money gets stolen, and it's, it's like, a comedy um, heist-style type of game plot thing where you, you have all these funny situations where you, these characters who are complete opposites have to work together to sort of get the get this money and then later on find the actual pieces that'll let them access this vault and you have all these other characters who are also trying to get the vault like other crime bosses and then you have other people from Hyperion and so the, it's this big battle royale of people trying to get to the vault and it's it's just funny situation it's a fun, funny situation um your character Reese is like a cyborg he's got like a robot arm and a robot eye and he ends up accidentally downloading the AI personality of Handsome Jack into his brain, so he's constantly followed by, like, the ghost of Handsome Jack who's trying to make him do these, like, moralistically evil things and, like, to just... to help him take over Hyperion. It's just... It's really funny. There's, like, so much shit going on. The the end of the series, which I just played, episode 5, has, like, all the elements from the earlier episodes coming together, and it wraps up really nicely. There's... I don't want to give too much away, but there's, like, this big, giant monster, f- giant kaiju robot fight where you're... It's a mixture between Pacific Rim and, like, Power Rangers, where you pick a team of, of people to join you, and then you end up piloting this giant mech, and it's, like, color-coded in their consoles, and they have to, like, fight this giant kaiju monster who's guarding the vault, and it's just... It's so funny, and there's just so many things going on, and you actually... You end up really liking the characters you play as, and and they're, like, group of friends, and they end up becoming, like, this weird sort of family by the end of the game, and so you really... You really feel for these characters, so if one of them happens to die, it's, like... It has just as much emotional impact as, like, a Walking Dead game death, but it's also... They've really managed to balance humor and emotion and making you feel feel like these characters belong in this world and also like mesh well together there was there was just moments where i was just like playing through the game and like really smiling and laughing and like enjoying myself and there's i can't really say that a lot about a lot of games where i just i thought it was genuinely funny and i really also felt for the characters and i really was immersed in the storyline and i really want to see where it ended up and I feel like they they did a really good job ending it and tying in all the other episodes and just telling this like crazy fucking story about 
these people from this evil corporation and these con people like coming together to try to like capture this vault and I, it's it's definitely it's like one of the best Telltale games and even if you don't like Borderlands or you never played a Borderlands game you should still probably play this game because I wasn't really that much into Borderlands and I kind of picked up this game on a whim because it was on sale and it ended up being my favorite Telltale game. It's so funny. There's like so there's this, there's so many crazy situations. The um the people who work at Hyperion, they're like really like they're like kind of like corporate assholes. You'll work in an office environment, and they're always doing like these finger gun things. Yes. And this is whole yes. There's this whole scene in, in episode four where you have this big finger gun gun battle where you're just like shooting people with finger guns, and somebody pulls out like a, an imaginary bazooka, and people are pretending to die in like the office cafeteria, and it's just this huge quick time event where you're like kicking over like lunch tables and like making like pew pew noises and like shooting people, and it's just it plays it like it's. Like you're watching a real action scene, it's like straight out of John like real... Woo. Yeah, but it, everybody's like got imaginary guns and they're like just flying around and making noises with their mouth, and it's like one of the funniest scenes I've ever seen. And it, it actually they actually top it in season in episode five when when they're doing that um, giant robot battle because that shit was so funny that it it was like somehow even better than the f- fucking finger gun battle in in uh, episode four, which is just like. Like, I enjoyed the Borderlands games, but, like, Tales of the Borderlands, like, it was super off my radar, like, and, like, the only reason I found out about it was, like, I, uh, on Facebook, there was, like, uh, the Best of Tumblr Facebook page, and they, they posted a video of that finger gun fight sequence, uh, time sequence, and I was laughing my ass off. I was like, what the hell is this? I need to find it right now, and I found out it was Tales of the Borderlands, and it just made it so much better, because it... I don't know if it's like a direct reference to it, but have you ever seen the the British comedy series uh, Spaced? Um, I've yeah, but I haven't seen the whole okay. thing. Okay, I've seen it. Okay, uh, for those who don't who don't know who about Spaced, it was Edgar Wright's, uh, Simon Pegg's, Nick Frost's, and um, uh, just oh god, I can't remember the lady who plays Yvonne in Shaun of the Dead. I'm punching myself in the head right now because I can't remember her name. I think her name is Jessica. I'm sorry. You, you guys have the internet. You can look it up. But um, it was this amazing sitcom about two people named Tim and Daisy and their misadventures as they rent a apartment together. It was it was a seminal work by Edgar Wright, and this is before Shaun of the Dead came out. But a lot of the running jokes and a lot of the same actors. Uh, actually, all the actors at one point or another showed up in the rest of the Three Flavors Cornetto trilogy. And one of the greatest scenes ever was a finger gun fight scene. And I just, uh, when I saw that scene in Tales, I just cried. I just died because it just reminded me all, all those fond memories of just rewatching that one episode of Spaced. And just like the, the sheer abandonment of like. Just they're just everyone's taking it so seriously, but it's so funny because like 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 Stan said, there's bazookas and like the the characters just pulling out like dually pistols and like like imaginary machine guns and ah uh, so so the, I I haven't I downloaded the game recently, uh but Sam just sealed the coffin on like 
I have to play all of it cause with that with the mention of the like, giant kaiju Pacific Rim battle because that just sounds so dope. And um, Stan, you were saying that they that was like the end of the story, so like they're you're not they're not sure they're they're going to do a sequel or any follow. I really stories. hope they do. There's there's a sequel hook at the end where I, I'm not going to spoil it, but it does set up the possibility of a season two, and I really hope they take advantage of that because this game was really good and it was really funny and it was it was probably hands down the most well written of the Telltale game series honestly I would be really surprised if they didn't at least do a season 2 and if they didn't have these characters show up again in Borderlands 3 because their situation the, the thing that happens during the course of the game has like pretty serious repercussions for the Borderlands universe following Borderlands 2 so it's and which really surprised me that they would like give that like Gearbox would give Telltale such command over the future canon of the series because there's like some serious changes that happen and so I'm interested not only I so before this game I wasn't that interested in Borderlands 3 I was like okay another gun game where you're running around or whatever this made it so that I was actually really interested to see Borderlands 3 and what happens next and like really anything in the Borderlands universe I am. It just made me really excited, and it was really funny, and I love all the characters that were in it. And I mean, I can't, I can't give my praises enough to this game. It's, it's one of the better narrative, narratively driven games. Period. So, uh, game of the year for you? I mean, that um, the end of the year is going to come up, and like, uh, uh. <laughs> it's coming up really close. It's November first. Game of the year? I don't know, cause. Because Metal Gear Solid Five and then Fallout Four is in like two weeks. Yeah, you know, actually, by the time this show goes up, it'll be next week. Next, like, that's the next insane. week. Yeah, so it's and so then Until Dawn. Um, you know, I mean, that was a big contender for you. Until Dawn was really good. We're gonna have an interesting discussion later this year. You know, friendships year, might be so, broken. We're gonna, yeah, we're, gonna but... get, <laughs> we're gonna get we're gonna get at each other's throats. But Chris, you should definitely play through this game because it it is it's fucking hilarious and that last that last episode had like such a good ending and there was like so many good things and and just tying in all the choices that i made and all the situations that i encountered into this one final scene with with this giant robot battle was just like the craziest but like the craziest but not surprising with how crazy this series has gotten like kind of events and it is just it's so good. It's like definitely one of the one of the most epic and like craziest way to end the game. Like, period. Just like anytime you can shoehorn in a fucking giant robot battle, you should probably do it. After you're after we're talking about it like this past week, and now you know, I might just have to put a pause or put a pin in Soma and, and start playing Tales because like there's five episodes and. How, uh, approximately how long is each episode? Like, content ways? Like, uh, it's, like, probably, I would say about 90 minutes. Oh, that's not bad. Maybe two hours max. Okay. Yeah, so you can get through it in, like, a few days if you want to, like, power through it. It's not, a long, it's not a long game, but it's, like, paced so well and the story is so good that it just, it's totally worth is it. Is there, like, a lot of, like, like, Easter eggs or, like, side mission content? Or is it just, like... N- no, it's it's pretty much, it's pretty linear. It's just you're running through the story and you're, like, going... There's, like, some places where you can catch your breath, you can walk around, you can explore the environment a little bit, but it's very it's very much, like, a tell... It's a Telltale game, you know? Like, I don't know if you've played through, like, the Walking Dead games or... It's, like, set... It's, like, 
yeah, it's like set piece to set piece to set piece, and like these things happen, and you're like making these dialogue choices and like these in-game like decisions about like characters and and events, and so it's like one of those. So it's it's really good. Like <laughs> it's just it's so standard funny. glowing right now. You're just like you're like like reminiscing like in the glory of it's just. It's like it's like it's like it's like yeah, really it's, contagious. I, I I love your enthusiasm about this. It's it's seriously like where you you get episode one. These characters are so different, but then by the end of episode five, it's like Fast and the Furious. Everyone's suddenly family, <laughs> and it's like, and it's just it's so great seeing that happen over the course of the series. Where it's like you have these completely separate characters who shouldn't be like friends because. You know, the people who live on Pandora hate these, like, corporate suits on Hyperion who, like, live in space and look down on them on the planet. And you have these characters get together. And it's, like, the humor is, like, really reminds me a lot of, like, Futurama where, like, Reese is very much, like, a Fry character. And, like, they're always, like, putting him down and shit. But there's, like, it's just, it's it's really fucking good. <laughs> like, I can't, I can't. I don't know. I don't have any more words to say of like just how good it is, but it's just at the end you get this whole sense where it's like they have like this big like group hug moment, and it's like we're we're a fucking weird family, and I'm like I love this. <laughs> so they didn't have so like a barbecue, you know, at the end at, at like Toretto's <laughs> house and toasting the Han and. You know? <laughs> I mean, like, if 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 it wasn't for like the cliffhanger ending, I would totally see that happening. But like the the ending that happened t- sort of made me like wonder, like, oh shit, what's gonna happen next? But I could totally see everyone like hanging out at like, I, I almost during the credits, I wanted to see one of those things where it's like, where are they now? And it shows like the characters like in the future or something like that. Because I was like, oh, these guys are getting married, they're having kids, they're like bringing the family together. And it's like, I just I just want to see them like. I want to see their whole lives play out because they're just such good characters. I, I just want to yeah. see a finger gunfight break out of the wedding. <laughs> they take cover behind yeah. a wedding cake. But yeah, it's it's definitely five banana material. This game. So five bananas. It. Yeah, it's got it's got technical problems like old Telltale games do. Like the engine is showing its age. You can kind of see like when I was playing on the PC, I had like a few glitches. I even had to like contact someone in Telltale Games, like, customer service on how to get past this specific glitch that I was encountering, but it was good enough for me that when my laptop broke down, I decided to rebuy it on the PS4 because I couldn't I couldn't go without seeing the ending of the game, and I had to live through my ending of the game, so I played through the entire game again over the past week, making pretty much the same decisions I made just to see the ending finally play out, so it was good enough for me to buy twice. Dude, that's... That's and true commitment, I can't man. really say that about many things except for like Mass Effect. Like Mass Effect, I bought on like every console I own, pretty much. Yeah. Wow, that's awesome. Cool. Yeah. All right, so uh, go out there and buy Tales of the Borderlands or download it. You know, uh, for PC or in, and PS4. Or, or it's also for Xbox. Is it also on Xbox. Okay, I didn't know that. I think it's on iOS too. Really? It's like no everywhere. way. It's tell- yeah, it's like a Telltale game. You can find it anywhere. You could probably play it on fucking Atari Jaguar. I'm sure. <laughs> All right. Game Gear version. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Wait, did, uh, does Nintendo doesn't have any ports for it. I don't think so. Actually, oh. I don't know. Nothing's on Nintendo consoles right now. <laughs> It's like a wasteland on Wii U. It's like it's so sad, except for Mario Maker. All right, so thank you, Stan, for your stunning and amazing video game review. 
this is a short episode, uh, especially since uh, Andy's not here. But uh, Stan, uh, he's going to become a, a podcast star. I mean, he is, but even more of a podcast star. <laughs> so you want to you wanna plug what you just did before recording this episode? Uh, yeah, there's there's another podcast because you know there's only like a handful, of course, like podcasts ever. But, <laughs> no, there was um, there is another podcast based in New York, even though Chris is not New York based. Super Nerd Pals is birth in New York, so um, called Murmur. Um, you can find them on Twitter at Murmur Podcast, I believe is a Twitter handle. We can put that in the show notes. But I was recently a guest star on. In an episode and um it's a good it's a good series it's sort of it's a little bit like humans in new york but an audio version where random new york strangers show up and talk about their lives for like an hour or so and i was i recorded an episode recently so i'm just gonna give that show a shout out because they let me give a shout out to super nerd pals on there and when my episode goes live i'll uh bring it up again but yeah, it's it's a great it's a great podcast. It's a lot of fun, so you should probably check it out and and look for me to be on it soon. And we will plug it here on all our channels. And uh, yeah, Stan, moving up in the world. <laughs> yeah, well, what can I say? <laughs> cool. So um, I think we'll put a pin in it there. Um, uh, we'll be back next week, and hopefully Andy will return from the ghost world the ghost with dimension. tales of heroism and danger, and maybe he killed them all with some finger gunning. I don't know. We'll we'll have to interrogate him. So this was episode thirty nine of Super Nerd Pals. Um, thank you for listening. Uh, we really appreciate it. You can find us on Twitter at Super Nerd Pals. You can find us at supernerdpals at gmail.com you can find us on our facebook group facebook.com slash group slash supernerdpals we also have an instagram same thing supernerdpals supernerdpals everything um so we really appreciate it if you could leave us a comment you know talk to us we love talking with our fans and our listeners you can also tweet at us individually uh you can find stan at stan doom Doom! Doom! And you can find me on Twitter at Kyo Ninja for Hire. That's K-Y-O Ninja for Hire. You can also find Andy at Sweet Justice One. That's O-N-E. Please, please like, rate, subscribe, share. Tell your friends. Tell your, tell your friends. That's, that's the best way to get the word out for us to rise in the ranks and to gain more listeners and to you know just you know else is a good way to uh to help us out uh no why why do tell stan (laughs) (laughs) oh you should probably uh give us those uh five star ratings on itunes it helps people find us easier and it'll give us uh, more listeners it'll give us a better reach so you want us to be able to reach right we need that reach. yeah you'll be you're a part of our podcast army we can't do this without you all right thank you very much and I hope you all have a great week. And we'll be back next week. And we love we love you all. Have a good night. See you later. Thanks for listening. <laughs>